Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. Whether you're catching the show live or in archive, again, welcome. This is your host, Jim Ventura. I am a professional astrologer and navigational consultant. Uh, I work with lots of different types of oracles, like tarot and runestones and angel cards and uh, past life cards and astrology and numerology, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, information about my services can be found on my website at jimventure.com for in-office sessions as well as by phone. And uh, today is going to be a live column read uh, from a column from last month. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to read the column. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in detail. Uh, if you're not already getting my every other month column, you can email me at VenturaSage at Yahoo.com and get added to the mailing list so you're able to get the columns directly into your inbox and catch them that way. Uh, and um, so, yeah, so today we're going to do, we're going to talk about this column in, in some detail. Uh, it is a 45-minute show. So, uh you know, it's iffy about whether I'm going to have time to get to live calls. Uh, I may uh, toward the end of the show. That would be about 30, 35 minutes in, though. Um, so uh, I, I never take live calls in the first half hour of a show. Uh, that's just the premise of the show is to read the column and discuss it. But uh, it is possible. So uh, if you do uh, choose to call in, again, I, I give it a about a 30, 40% chance I may have the time. So we shall see what happens. With that, uh, anyway, so uh, let's dive right in here uh, and, and start with uh, this month's column. Well, I, I do it every other month. Uh, so this is the March-April column. So we'll talk a little bit about this, uh, again, with more detail after I finish reading the column. And, uh, and then we'll see, like I said, if there's some time to get to a, a phone call or two. Okay, so this month's column for March and April is called Past Lifetimes and the Price of Gas. The concept of living other lifetimes and reincarnation can be intriguing and exciting. Uh, to many people, it may make intuitive and even practical sense. Yet it can also be a subject littered with misperceptions, confusion, and to those who only value logic and tangible in-the-lab concrete proof, it can seem like malarkey. There are actually many authors, both scientific-based as well as metaphysical, who have studied and written extensively about this subject from multiple angles. In those circles, it was largely unquestioned. A number of movies and television shows about the subject have been done, have done a respectable job. Well, of course, there is a lot of hype, sensational nonsense mixed in, too. I personally encountered a number of people in my early years of metaphysical groups and classes who had very definite opinions to share about this subject. A young woman in a psychic development class I took at about the age of 20 claimed that she lived during Pompeii during its fall. Uh, I thought this could possibly have been true. Another instance, I once talked to another woman who claimed she was Cleopatra in a past lifetime. Uh, This seemed a lot less likely, but I guess possible. The concept of whether I've lived other lifetimes was never something I pondered. I always knew this was the case. I remembered glimpses of other selves, even as a child. My Catholic education contributed in part to an early rejection of some of the teachings of this religion. Uh, There was no outlet for discussing or understanding this awareness. 
when I was a kid and I took baths, which I often did as a child, as well in some of my teens, I would catch memories of being in a bath in other bodies in different homes, times, and families. Particularly poignant was the memory of being a fem- in a female body. It did feel like she was royalty or from a wealthy family. I clearly told my friends about this when I was about nine. I was glad to be a boy in this lifetime. It was actually a lot easier. There were many times when I would talk to another person and get glimpses of their face briefly changing to another self. I used to think of it as bleed-throughs. All of the significant relationships I've experienced with partners or friends who were with people I immediately or eventually recognized as someone I've known before. Much of this awareness took place long before I began to read or study reincarnation. I really upped my studies, though, in my late teens and early 20s, and have read many books about this subject. I even once took a seminar in San Diego by a well-known author. Contrary to popular belief among many people and those uneducated about the subject, quite a few well-researched cases have been studied and verified that would be very hard to dismiss. I learned how to do past life regression when I was about 21. I did regressions for friends and had many notable stories of success. Eventually learned self-hypnosis and actually logged in a notebook about 40 recognizable lifetimes and guessed there were many more. It sort of seemed the further I went back in time or in my baby soul and young soul lifetimes, as I like to call them, I wasn't always a very upstanding citizen. Quite a number of people I immediately got into relationships with when I moved to Phoenix at about 25 happened in the first few months when I arrived in the Valley. I recognized many of those new friends immediately. My dreams are snippet memories of past contacts with them, both before and after I left New York. Another aspect of many, many reasons why I felt drawn to move here. There are so many different stories of personal past life contact that I could easily cover them in a series of books, but here are two that truly stood out for me. When I was about 22, I did a self-hypnosis regression to see what I would consider my happiest lifetime. I saw myself, remembered myself, felt myself as a familiar clumsy man at about the age of 40. I lived with my mother and some pets that I talked to in a safe environment. I couldn't recall when it was or where it was, but that seemed far less relevant. I was a special needs individual. My focus was less on the intellect and more emotional and intuitive. My mother was not my mother in my current lifetime, though. She was an early 40s waitress I had worked with named Nikki. We quickly became unlikely friends in this lifetime in a way that made it seem weird to many of the people around us. She beamed with pride when I was around her. She must have been proud of how smart and funny her son from another time and place now was. I would guess she was proud of me in that other lifetime, too, for different yet equally valid reasons. She died in this lifetime a few years ago from complications related to Parkinson's disease. I'll always miss my friend mom from another time and place and know I will see her again. Experience was something I caught glimpses of in dreams as a child. I even remembered actual details of it at different times. I did a regression at about the age of 23 and got more detail. I was a Russian Jew, man in my late 50s, just before the start of World War II. I fled the area I lived in for fear that things would soon go badly. I pleaded with friends and family to leave also, but was mostly dismissed. 
I lived in England for about 20 years before my death alone in a room with a number of cats. In my current lifetime, I was badly allergic to cats until about the age of 33. I think my body associated being alone and sickly when I was around cats, even though I always loved them too. I still feel a sense of responsibility to warn others if I sense difficulties ahead, although I've also learned to allow them their experience and not try to save or control them. To this day, I still haven't been able to get through Schindler's List and similar movies. For a long time, I resented the English people in that lifetime and the culture, and I seem to oddly know a bit about Russian life and the Jewish religion in this lifetime. I recently realized that the feral cats I now feed and pet that live in our condo complex came back to their dad from another time and place. People often understandably ask me the question, what good is it for us to know about our past lifetimes? What way does it help in the practicalities of our current life? Yet it is even more pronounced way, yet in an even more pronounced way, like exploring your genealogy, heritage, or ancestry in this lifetime, you get to see pieces or attributes in yourself that aid in piecing together who we are now. Talents, abilities, and even challenges offer insight into why we may currently have skills or struggle with these similar patterns. I bought a deck of past lifetime cards that I still use when I work with clients. And one of the first cards I pulled was the prehistoric sorcerer. It suggested that I was an ancient soul who had great power. In my younger years of this lifetime, I sometimes succumbed to hurting friends who I felt wronged me. Thankfully, I got hold of this darker aspect of myself early on in life and decided successfully to focus my powers on good. Listen, I still sometimes deliciously think of so many creative ways to destroy anyone who angers me. But I remind myself in my inner prehistoric sorcerer that forgiveness and understanding are the far better uses of power. Karmic balance is built into the universe. I need not take on the role of writer of all perceived wrongs. And this is an added benefit of not creating new karma to have to resolve, typically the old soul focus, and then have to find a way to burn those ribbons too. We're given an ego for a reason. It helps us to navigate effectively in this life and body and tangible world around us. Still, we can learn to put our ego aside from time to time to catch glimpses of other selves. Our practical sides, our ego will remind us that it is bunk to think we have other aspects or lifetimes to consider. It does its job well. It reminds us of things like, what do knowing about past lives have to do with the real world and the price of gas? What good is it? Often, even when the information comes through, it will try to convince us that we're making it all up. Yet if you choose to open this door, it is useful. Not as an escape from the demands of this life, but to aid in understanding why we're made up the way that we are. We will likely be disappointed when we realize we probably weren't George Washington, Attila the Hun, or Joan of Arc. More likely, we were a woman who was sold to a concubine, uh, to be a concubine at a young age. A shaman loved and feared in Africa 600 years ago. A man who had a gambling problem added comic ribbons to his burn when he sold off two of his daughters to cover gambling debt. A soldier who deserted his fellow comrades because he feared the struggle was not feeling right about killing. A jealous sister in ancient Greece who seduced her older sister's husband. A madam for a bunch of younger prostitutes in the Old West with a heart of gold. 
we gain insight when we're willing to tune into who we truly are and why we're drawn to certain people, events, or situations. I believe we do this between lifetimes, so it's not a bad way to get a head start or to integrate a bit of this in our present. And best of all, we realize the part of us that fears death or worries about things like eternal punishment is simply inaccurate. We know that we carry on and develop as a soul in different stages. This is not only a valuable, deeper truth, but a doorway into enjoying what this current life has to offer, secure in the knowledge that we lived before and we will live again. All right. So that was uh, my column. And all right, let me get uh, situated here. Uh, that was my column uh, put out in about mid, I think it was probably late March, actually. Uh, I already have another one coming up probably mid-May, uh, which I have to get on. <laughs> it's a lot of work, uh, but I enjoy it, so I'm not complaining by any means. Um, anyway, so let me elaborate a little bit on this. As I had said in the piece, um, you know, this was not an alien concept to me at, at a young age. That's why I had mentioned, you know, having gone to Catholic school and been raised Catholic. Um, you know, there was no outlet for this type of awareness or understanding, which I did have as a child. Um, it, it was not a strange thing to me. I just knew I had lived before. Uh, like I said, sometimes I would see, you know, glimpses of other, you know, uh, faces of people I would talk to. Um, it just kind of made sense to me. In a lot of ways, it was something I, I did never questioned. Uh, but then, yeah, I said, peace. I kind of really started exploring this more in my late teens into my early 20s. You know, it was really fun because I, I got so good at, at like, hypnosis and kind of putting people under, um, it's just, again, a lot easier than it sounds. I won't get into too much detail about that, but, um, you know, uh, self-hypnosis and past life regression are actually very workable for most of us. And uh, there's a fun thing that I did with my friends. Uh, sometimes uh, it was really remarkable what they saw or they re-experienced. Uh, same with myself. I always remember my one friend, a friend named Debbie, that she was a bit of a uh, a card. <laughs> that sounds like an old man thing to say, a card, but I am pretty old. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she was a character in a card, and she saw herself as a as a madam in the Old West, which is what I had kind of mentioned here, and it made sense to us even afterwards. Um, I just remember one very intriguing one. There was a woman who was um, getting older in years. She was my friend Nikki who I had mentioned in this piece as friends, and we had done a regression for her, and she was sort of like a uh, a woman in, it was like the early 1900s in that lifetime, who was very vain, married to a wealthy man, and she kind of went a bit insane and had some stomach issues and things in that lifetime, uh, a lot of uh, discomfort about aging, and there was a certain level of emotional abuse, kind of like a threat of being put away by him. Uh, that was tough to kind of bring her out. She got very emotional during it and cried, and it was very familiar. You know, it was later on that I learned that um, it was actually not completely uncommon, late 1800s, early 1900s, for men to commit their wives sometimes. Uh, I don't think this is done so much anymore, but uh, I'm sure there were cases where maybe someone did go kind of nuts. Uh, but I think maybe a lot of men, you know, decided to get rid of a wife, and this could have been a vehicle to have done that. So that was kind of an interesting, albeit dark, thing 
that I've served with her. So, you know, I've worked with clients uh, with, you know, I have these past life cards that I use. Uh, in fact, if I'm able to have a little time to do a call or two, I, I may pull a card for a call or two again if I've got time for it. Um, and uh, those are real interesting because they kind of pinpoint the error and the place, and then usually my own intuition can sometimes get a thread of what one might have been doing at that time or some of the feel for that particular lifetime. So one thing I would like to explain to people, a couple of things about the past life stuff that I think are important are, you know, contrary to popular belief, you do not come back as like an ant or a dog in a lifetime. Uh, animals reincarnate within those soul experiences until they finish, you know, their own evolution just as humans do. So I think that is very much a, a misperception that in the next lifetime you can come back as a cat. Completely different strains of consciousness when you're a human being. You stay within that realm until you finish through and cycle through all of your lifetimes. Uh, you can certainly have an affinity for cats or dogs. It could be that in another cycle, in the larger picture of your soul experience, you uh, experience life as a, a dog or a cat. Maybe there's still a leftover affinity for that, or it could be other reasons why you have such a connection. But uh, now there's no transmigration of souls. That's kind of a not particularly accurate thing. In fact, I remember years ago I was doing a psychic fair. So let me underline that this was years ago. I haven't done one of those in a good 15 years. Um, and uh, there was an author that was in a booth next to me. He was telling people that... Uh, you know, like their grandmother had come back as their new pet dog. And being the big mouth that I am, I couldn't shut my pie hole, Sagittarius sun sign here. <laughs> and I had to, like, correct him on that, which angered him incredibly. But uh, it just bothered me that he was telling people this. Seems Now, looking back on it, it probably really didn't matter. Um, and that's something I've learned as I've gotten older. Sagittarius left in the similar restraint. I always have to enlighten everybody, unless they ask. So, but uh, it, it did. It was one of those things that kind of bothered me a bit. But, yeah, I saw, like, I, in my own um, experience with, with studying uh, reincarnation in past lifetimes, again, I, I read many, many books about this subject. There's a great author back in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, even early 90s, named Dick Sutton, I think who's probably semi-retired at this point, who uh, wrote really extensively about this, Sutton, was a, really did a lot of regressions with people and a lot of work that way. In fact, that was one of the, the seminars I went to uh, with a Dick Sutton seminar in, in San Diego, probably got 25 years ago. And um, it was cool because he actually did like a group regression. And, you know, I, I loved uh, how kind of easily it was to go under. I think the group energy made that occur. And he, his question to us was to go back to a lifetime where you got caught up in the fear, the concern, or the hope of being saved. And it was kind of like a loose kind of disposition that he was kind of getting us to look at about personal responsibility. And I had saw myself as a, a Christian teacher of sorts, probably in the early, maybe 100, 200, 300 A.D. or so, um, which would make a ton of sense. I just always, even, I never really was a big 
study of the Bible in this lifetime. Yeah, they do seem to have a lot of knowledge about it, uh, which is not that common in Catholicism. They don't usually they much more ritual than necessary Bible study. Um, but I did. I do seem to know a lot about that subject, and I think it's contributed to who I am now about the fact that I still think there's excellent elements to Christianity and, and some of the Bible teachings. And then there's some that's, you know, not so great and probably just change and alter according to whoever was trying to maneuver the situation accordingly, which I think in some lifetimes was probably me <laughs> back then. And uh, anyway, so uh, long story short, when we had done this regression and I saw, you know, something about the concept of being saved, I saw myself as a preacher and I was part of, you know, a group of, of renegade Christians at the time that were, you know, literally put in an arena to be fed to the lions. And I, and I told everyone God would save us and he would rescue us at the last minute and we had to trust in this. And uh, needless to say, that did not happen and we were ripped apart and were killed and were died much to the joy of the onlookers in the crowd, uh, the early Romans were were pretty horrible <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that. And and I was very disappointed as I crossed over into the other world and spirit about not being saved, but of course realized I had survived anyway in a different context. But I think that contributed to even now. I just, you know, I'm very hesitant to get caught up in the idea of a savior, that someone's going to come along and and save us. I'm very much built toward personal responsibility now. And I think that's a contributing factor as well. So I uh, did want to share that because, again, you know, pretty interesting stuff uh, when, when you begin to explore this. Again, it's, a lot of times it's not what you think it's going to be. It's why I had mentioned that in the piece about the woman saying she was Cleopatra. Yes, technically, that's certainly possible. Someone is Cleopatra in another lifetime, in another time, in another space, certainly. But I think we can often get very grandiose. I found when I looked at past lifetimes, it was more, you know, just much more simplistic elements or dynamics that sort of fit into why I have that perception now. One, you know, real quick story I'm going to share, which is really cool, is I once did a regression. I saw myself as an actual medieval medieval executioner. And... uh, you know, my job was to chop off heads to put people to death who the king had dismissed as being criminal or unworthy or disloyal. And, you know, I have to say that it definitely contributed to the way I am now. One, I'm really not a fan of the death penalty in any way. I think that it it causes karma for those who make the decision as well as those who carry out the execution. And I think in this lifetime, I inevitably paid a lot of karmic debt for, for those executions. But on another level, when I became him, in that sense, when I went back in that regression, what was so interesting was I didn't perceive myself as a bad guy. I saw myself as liberating someone from a lifetime of difficulty and struggle. Because once you were you know, deemed bad or unworthy by the king, you know, no matter what you did, you would never regain your position again, maybe even become an outcast and struggle. So my perception was that I was freeing somebody in that way. 
So, you know, again, really interesting because I, I don't, I certainly have never had any real major fear of death in this lifetime. I absolutely know that we survive it and, and go on and, and have multiple layers of experience and that it's pure nonsense, that it's a one-shot deal in any way. But I think it also really contributed to the way I am about extreme events or circumstances. Uh, you know, I talked about this in previous shows. When COVID came along, uh, I kind of took sort of what I call that old soul approach, and I was like, hey, listen, my thought on this is that I don't think this is going to be good. I certainly think it's a negative for obvious reasons. I'm certainly going to feel for anybody who gets sick or who dies or loses a family member without question. But my take was, like, the planet was going to take a certain amount of people until it was finished, and that was it. And every argument about what you were hiding in the house or getting vaccinated, all of it to me was somewhat superfluous in terms of the reality of the situation was things like this occur, like tornadoes and earthquakes and landslides and floods. And this is another concept that, that illness and pandemics sometimes surface in society. Uh, and there is a culling. And, you know, again, of course, my more liberal friends got irritated with me. My more conservative friends kind of uh, liked it, but took a wrong take on it, I think, too, about the way I was perceiving this. I wasn't in any way, uh, you know, dissuading anyone from, from understanding that you should take care of yourself and you should be practical. But, again, that was my perception. So I think that that has contributed a lot to the way I view life and death and things that nature. I think life is absolutely precious. But, you know, death is part of this world, and, and we're all going to leave at some point. You know, Betty White had a great death, you know, a couple of months ago. She kind of went to bed, fell asleep, was relatively healthy, and whatever quickly killed her, she went out. You know, that was awesome. It was a great death, almost 100 years old. Excellent. Well done. But we're also we're all going to leave. So illness and things like that are, are part of this world. So... You know, we're not going to just suddenly close our eyes for the most part and, and disappear. We're going to go through different degrees of it. So, yeah, COVID sucked. <laughs> but I looked at it like something that just is, that would come along from time to time. And if you catch some of my past shows, I talked a lot about this in terms of its astrology and those effects about why COVID had come along with the conjunction of, of uh, Pluto and Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn when this began to originate. You catch some past shows about that want some more insight toward that. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, the other thing I want to mention is, and I, I think that, and this is really significant, I always sort of tell people we see it as past lifetimes, but I would say in a larger picture, there are simultaneous lifetimes that exist in different times and places. That can sound a little confusing maybe, but in actuality it should make more sense to, to many of us. Um, Real, again, real quick story here of something that I went through. You know, I got so adept at going, like, meditating and going into a past lifetime in my early 20s that, you know, at one point I had gone and uh, done a past lifetime, and I saw myself as a, a female uh, Greek woman who was married to this uh, gentleman, and I was really good at painting on like pottery and glasses and like very, very detailed painting in that lifetime. And I had a spouse who used to claim that he was the one who did most of this and that I helped him, when in actuality he was full of it. 
I did not do any of those things. So there's much more detail about that. And what was interesting is when I first moved to Arizona, I was working in a restaurant as a waiter, and I became really great friends with this guy who eventually I moved in with and we were buddies for a number of years. I used to call him my straight husband because he loved me dearly. It was not a sexual relationship, but it was a very intimate one. He cared about me. Everything was about trying to prove that he was a good guy and that he cared for me and an interesting dynamic. So I think he was that husband and that I liked him, and I recognized him fairly quickly. But the interesting thing is when I was in that, that regression, along came another self that began to kind of bleed in. And it was me as a, uh, a musician in, I think, the late 1700s or so, early 1800s in, like, Louisiana. And I was very wealthy. My family had a, like, a, I think it was a textile kind of farm. I don't know what property. And I had a number of slaves at the time, um, which, to thankfully, I treated incredibly well. And the ones that were, I perceived that worked for me. Um, liked being where they were in contrast to other places. I was certainly not cruel to them and considered them in many ways part of the family, which somewhat got me in trouble with some people sometimes. But that man was a very melodramatic, you know, musician and poet. And, and again, there were people in that lifetime that I recognize now that I was interacting with without going into great detail. But, uh, you know, what was always interesting, even as a kid in this lifetime, I don't know how to play the piano, but when I see a piano, I always feel like I could sit down and play a piano with ease. I have not tried that. I don't think this body has been trained to do that, although I do think if I took it up, I'd probably be good at it fairly quickly because of the past self who have done that. But the best part of this whole thing is, so here I am, like it's me and these two other selves, and I had said to them, like, oh, it's so interesting that you're my past selves. And they were, like, kind of taken aback by that. They were like, we're not your past selves. We exist in different times and places. To them, I was more of a theory of possibility, but not real. Like, they were immersed in their time and their place. So to me, this idea of a future self, to them, was almost like talking to a spaceman. <laughs> so I was like, isn't that interesting, my arrogance about, you know, that I'm the, I'm the top of the ladder, and they're like sort of below me in the pecking order? I don't think it works that way at all. I think that there's a simultaneousness to it. So my analogy for past lifetimes is think of like your higher self as this huge tree with great deep roots into the earth, and then all the branches of the tree are like other other selves. You know, some of the uh, branches get a lot of sunlight and get a lot of moisture, and they're lush. And some may be in the shade a lot of the time, and they're more withered uh, and not as strong. You know, again, similar dynamic. You're going to have lifetimes where you're beautiful or wealthy or talented. You're going to have lifetimes where you're poor or struggling or, you know, incredibly heavy or, you know, downtrodden in the realm of society. This is that evolution that we ultimately go through in order to learn to thrive and to grow. So, you know, that's the beauty of karma. You know, if you're, I always kind of say if you're, very adamant about something, it's usually because you did that in other lifetimes. Uh, you know, I, in my early years, in this lifetime, I dealt with a few somewhat abusive relationships. I took that as karmically in past lifetimes. I was um, a user and abuser in that way. 
and the love them and leave them type of guy. And I reincarnated to experience the other side of that. And the good news was I always tell people, listen, there's no like, you know, there's not a, a higher self God in the sky who's like, Jim's got 17 years of suffering ahead of him before we let him out of his contract of suffering. Wisdom erases karma. We wake up and smell the coffee and realize we don't want to play on either side of that equation. Then we evolve. We grow. We can step out of the karma from that. And that's important to remember. It's not a system of punishment. It's a system of learning and experience and, and in terms of evolution. So uh, that's my good little take on that. Okay, I covered a lot of what I wanted to, so I think in the next couple of minutes, I'm going to wrap up a little more about this. I think I'm going to take an incredibly early patient caller, so I'm going to take that call, and uh, I might be able to get two calls in before we finish the show, so uh, I have to look and see what the call in number is here. Okay, so if you want to call in and ask a question, the guest caller number is 646 3966 let me try to keep it within a 40, uh, we've got about 12 minutes, but I think I can probably get two calls in. Uh, at least we'll get the one in. Do that a minute here. But, yeah, uh, it is a great endeavor to look into your past lifetimes. It's not about escapism. Uh, it's about, you know, understanding the deeper layers of the self and, and the multiple things that come together to make us who we are. In fact, theoretically, you could see a future lifetime if you wanted to. Uh, another quick story. I'm going to take my caller here. Um, you know, years ago I had gone to a channeler and I'd asked that about a future lifetime. The channel knew nothing about me, and I just said, you know, what is my next lifetime chronologically in time? And he said um, that he saw me as a female in Australia, but that it was a little odd because I was a mathematician noted for my math skills, but was also very beautiful. Let me tell you what's so funny about that. <laughs> and so right on. One, I'm, I, I, was, I, I was fairly vain through much of this lifetime and still mildly somewhat vain now. I work out. I take care of myself. I try to maintain a certain level of pretty. Um, and I've done pretty good with that in this lifetime. So I figure, you know, if I'm going to be female, I'm going to probably milk that too in a way. So, but there are two things that are even more notable. One is that I absolutely have this draw to Australia. I love Australian people. I find their humor hysterical. I love Australian movies and things. Love it. I just love their take on things. They're very interesting people to me. Uh, I can go on about that. And the other thing is I have mad, mad math skills. <laughs> it's something I am incredibly good at, which is always weird because for someone who's so intuitive to have really strong math skills, that can seem like a contradiction. But in my case, it's not. Uh, I can, you know, even in this lifetime, I love playing around with math. Uh, that's why I'm good at astrology and numerology as well, but also in a practical level. Like, I can go to Vegas and I can switch from game to game and play video poker like a madman with mad skills, knowing exactly how to play chance, what the calculations are. I even enjoy it in that way. Um, I don't do it often, but I know how to count card count and blackjack. In fact, it's really easy. The reason I don't do it is because it gets boring after a while, you know, because you're focusing on the count and you're trying to make it look like you're not counting so you don't get in trouble. Anyway, so that's what kind of dissuaded me from doing that. But I do know how to do it. Uh, so, yeah, so Australian woman with mad mouth, mouth skills in my next lifetime, pretty likely, 
uh, again, they would be simultaneous, but throughout time. So, okay. Real quick, uh, we'll finish up here. I'm going to take my caller. Um, you know, if you're not already getting my monthly column, email me at VenturaSagiyahoo.com. Get added to the mailing list. It's blind copied. You don't get any massive sales stuff from me. I send a column out every uh, about two months, and uh, it gives you discounts on personal sessions with me and, and just great information that I'm able to put out that I love to do. Also, you can catch me on YouTube at Snake Oil, uh, Jim Ventura Snake Oil. It's Jay Ventura, by the way, on YouTube, Snake Oil. I do about a month of YouTube video. They're about 10 minutes. They are awesome. Talk about completely different subjects there. And, uh, of course, you can follow me on Instagram or TikTok as well. My TikTok is Animal Speaks, and it's all about animal totems. So a couple other things to check out. All right, I am going to shut my mouth, hard to believe, for Sagittarius for a minute, <laughs> and take this caller. Hey, Jim. Hello. Hey. Hello, you Jim. Who are we talking to here? Eileen. Hey. What's your name? Hi. Eileen? Eileen. E I L E N. Eileen. Even easier than that. All right, I got you, Eileen. All right, excellent. Thank you for your patience again. A lot of times I don't get to calls, but I, you know, you were so uh, perseverant, and I, I have a little time, so I'm glad to be able to get to talk to you today. So, uh, um, what's your, what's on your mind? What's your question? Tell me where your head is, and we'll, we'll go from there. I love astrology and the metaphysics and God and spirituality and good diet and staying close to Mother Nature. I want to know right. if I was in Lemuria. If you were? Yeah. I mean, I, is that I feel I was. You're asking this question? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm going gonna, uh, I'm gonna to pull a past life card for you, too, and add to okay. this, So, which is really interesting. Uh, uh, okay. So the answer to that is yes. Um, you know, it was a completely different civilization, as I'm sure you well know, and a bit of what I know about Lemurian civilization is it had a lot to do with, like, a heightened development of sound that was very much part of their culture. Like, I often suggest this um, in some ways to, uh, even when we look at other ensouled species on our planet now, would be whales and dolphins who yeah. specialize in sound where we're more yeah. visual. So I feel like yeah. that there is a part of you that has a connection to that as well. So the picture I'm getting about the Lemurian lifetime is, yes, I feel like um, this is a big part of what made you so close to nature and so geared toward um, the natural and that there's still a lot of leftover residue with that for you in terms of a bleed through now. Just what I'm kind of picking up is I feel like what your guides are saying to me is you were a very, very gentle soul in that lifetime and had such a strong sense of caring um, toward animals and plants and things of that nature. In fact, I feel that this showed up in multiple other lifetimes for you. Um, and what I'm kind of hearing is that, like, one of the things that you had as such a strong skill was, like, that you saw God in everyone and everything, in that way, and it made you kind of a softer touch in that respect, which I think in that lifetime caused some problems for you too, but ultimately it was a good characteristic that you still take on to this day. 
Um, does that make some sense to you? Yeah, and it's not sound, it's color, because I'm a painter, and people are, since I'm eight years old, and people are attracted to my art because of the colors and the imagery, which is all about the tropics and the islands and the earth and nature, and they want to live in my paintings. Right. Like, I, I feel like there's even stuff with, like, ley lines and the way you, you read things. Uh, In other words, yeah. I even think that the color, like, the color to you has layers to it in a way that other yeah. people would not perceive. Yeah. Right? That there's right. a life force mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, so definitely. So I pulled a past life card, and I think this is a really interesting connection. It came up um, a lifetime during Mayan times as well. So it came up the Mayan Jaguar priest card. So I want to read you a little tiny bit about that and what that kind of means, and then we'll we'll go from there uh, because I think you're going to love this. uh, There's a lot of it, but I want to touch upon it. So this is the conclusion. Uh, He says from this is a a past life book that I use called the Phoenix Cards. He says, if you have chosen the Mayan Jaguar priest, given intellect capable of making incredible leaps. You may think in purely abstract or theoretical ways. For this reason, you may have trouble sharing your ideas with others. You are quiet and discreet, but there is a strangeness about you that others can feel. If you're interested in astrology or ancient Mayan Indians were, you might compare your far-reaching nature to the planet Uranus. To you, every thought is a concept or secret formula that can be worked out only through relentless analytical thinking. It sometimes looks like a pure intuition on your part is actually a result of many years of mental work, mulling over problems on a subconscious level. Yearn to be known, you know, to the deeper truth of everything. Though your mind is brilliant, your thoughts are often erratic. Uh, You may be attracted to mathematics and other scientific subjects where you love to probe and solve problems. If not, you are certainly drawn to the secret and hidden nature of all things. You prefer variety in your life and can grasp complicated ideas quickly, much to the amazement of others. If there's something you cannot figure out, it will drive you crazy, as you can finally see some kind of inner workings of a larger concept involved. A secret makes you feel as if there's a gnat trapped and buzzing inside your ear. You can't feel at peace with yourself until the secret is free and out in the open uh, for you to inspect. This kind of vision, vision which is so typical for you, uh, is more internal than external. The special side is like the swell of colors and images that bloom beneath the lids when sleepy eyes close. It is the sight of a higher consciousness that propels you deeper, not only through the sight of careful observance, but also the vision, vision of emotion and intuition. You have special feeling for the nature and the world and the planets. Your desire alone, the mysteries lead you willing, willingly into levels barely touched upon by others. You can predict trends with great accuracy, and this has given you a reputation for mystical gifts. However, you might be shy about sharing your ideas. Feel best working alone. Okay, so that's part of it. How does that sound? That makes a lot of sense because I loved math and science growing up. I love to uh, analyze things, and I like to be alone a lot. And the other thing that you said that was pretty uh, clear was... Oh, there was, was so many things in there that was pretty clear. And I do yeah. artwork 
for a park in Mexico called the Ishkaret, and it was all about the Mayan culture and the jaguars. And I had to paint all those animals oh, isn't that in the park. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I would imagine there's a draw to animals and things of that nature as well, too, just quite instinctively. Um, Yeah, that's that's. Oh, yeah, you ran it. Yeah, I I love your chart. You said, okay, so in my chart, Mercury is conjunct Uranus, 9-9, like 34 minutes and 43 minutes. Right. There you go. I mean, that's about as literal as you claim the gnat in your head. You know what I mean in that sense? Mercury conjunct Uranus. Mercury is what we think about and analyze, of course, obsessively. And Uranus is where we're weird, we're eccentric, we're strange, but where we're brilliant in terms of the oh, way yeah. we, we process and, and think and, and yeah. put things through. So, yeah, I yeah. think there's, there's, you know, multiple lifetimes in, in, in other civilizations. And I think, well, really like I said, the artistic part. third world countries, like the islands, I'm really drawn to the lifestyle down in the Caribbean. I've lived yeah, there for many, I, many, I many see, years. Like even as you're talking, right? It's like I see all these threads of different selves that ex- was an explorer that went to these parts. But I feel like what's important to also acknowledge is that you you have a very strong open heart, and that's a big part of of who you are and what I think comes through in your art. So thank you. Just on intuition. Right. So thank you. Awesome. So what's your website? Great. All right. I mean, Thank I found you, you on YouTube, but I didn't find uh, the other part. Okay, yeah. Um, my website is jimventura.com, so it's easy enough to go to. Um, yeah, I'm easy to find on YouTube, but there's also I, – I, a couple of months back I started doing um, some TikTok videos on I don't animals. I've been talking about cats. Yeah, I, I resisted it myself like too. <laughs> for a long time. It sounds like a kitty thing. But uh, I really, I'm using that exclusively to talk about animal totems, which okay. is just something I love to discuss and talk about. But anyway, yeah, go to, go to uh, JimVenture.com. And, again, if you want, you can sign up for my, my every other month newsletter. Uh, like I always tell people, again, it's blind copied. I don't, no one ever gets your email address from me. I'm very protective about that. I just feel like I hate when I sign up for things and they start bombarding you with stuff relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And that's so not me. Like I said, it's every two months. You're lucky if I <laughs> I can get it done in two months as a writer. Well, but, uh, okay, anyway, so, so newsletter blog um, column, that one, right? Yeah, yeah. So where do you sign up? All right. Where do you sign up? You just email up? me. Uh, uh, it, it's just an email, venturasag at yahoo.com. Uh, you should be able to find that on even on the blog talk spot. But it's just Ventura, oh, okay. my last name, S-A-G, yeah, at Yahoo. So, Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. It was wonderful. It's a great talk to you. Excellent. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. Cool call. Yeah, that was uh, really – thank you for sharing your your story with us. You can see some great interconnections. I'm glad I was able to take that call. All right. Looks like I'm going to be uh, signing off here. I'll be back probably in about a month or so. I got another column on its way in the middle of probably May, so I should be back here toward the end of May, another column read. And, uh, again, JimVentura.com. You can find me, uh, J, J, single letter, Ventura, snake oil on YouTube, and you can find me all over the place. I, I like to talk about a lot of different things, and each is a different format, by the way. Same with Instagram. A little bit more toward astrology with Instagram, with YouTube, I cover a lot of different subjects. Anyway, all right, guys. 
Awesome talking, great show, and uh, until next time, happy start to May. Cheers.